Welcome to Social Workers Break Room. This is Imelda. And I'm Jennifer. And today we bring you five tips for transitioning from clinical to macro social work. We gotta start ordering lunch. I know. Next time. Next time. And I'll arrive in the middle of recording and we'll be like, we'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) stay with us. So in season one, episode 10, Activism and Advocacy, we discuss how even in our roles as direct practitioners and micro practitioners, advocating for justice and for equal rights for the people we serve should be also at the top of our list. Um, So we wanted to dive in a little bit more on this topic because for macro social workers, advocacy and community work is it's part of, of our everyday lives and everyday tasks that we do. But um we, you know, as macro social workers, we often have a lens that allow us to identify needs and access in communities and figure ways to to create that change. But it's also important to recognize that these skills they require time to acquire and to grow. And and to be honest with you, some of the schools of social work they don't spend enough time often talking about um, these macro practices and you know and encouraging students to to work in this macro view of, of communities and we're so focused on creating clinicians and mental health providers that we often don't spend time enough time talking about these things so for for macro social workers these skills and perspectives take time to develop and as we work in different community settings you know, you continue growing them and you continue being exposed to to the needs of the community. But, you know, a good number of social work programs are so heavily focused on, on clinical social work um, that we don't prepare students enough to work in this in this community settings. And don't get me wrong, all this, you know, one-on-one work and clinical skills are uh, very much needed in our community. But just imagine how much more powerful we will be as a profession if our schools and professors will be also equally as focused on macro impact and change. So today we want to address address a question that we often get um, in our social media channels and we also get um, on direct messaging from, especially from students and from uh, new social workers on how on how to transition from clinical work to macro work and if it if it's possible to do both. And Jennifer and I like to we like to identify ourselves as hybrid social workers, which means that we have a solid background of both clinical and macro work and we feel confident navigating both spaces and going back and forth as needed. But this didn't happen overnight. And it has taken conscious efforts on our parts to make sure that we stay informed, that we stay engaged, that we stay competent in both areas. Um, so we want to share some some tips with you on things that we have tried and that have worked. Of course, this is not an all-inclusive list of things to do to transition from clinical to macro. These are some ideas where you can start. All right, so we are going uh, to start with number one. We're going to go over five different tips that we want to share with you. So number one is utilize your time in clinical setting to learn and explore macro areas. So what does this mean? You can talk to your supervisor and share your intention of expanding your community and macro skills. Um, More than likely, if your supervisor is a program manager or is uh, the director of services, more more likely than not, they are already attending these community meetings where resources are shared and, and 
I would like to think that they will be happy for you to attend with them and do some shadowing or for you to attend on behalf of your agency. It has been my experience and um, in previous settings where I have worked, where my supervisor was just completely overworked and mm-hmm. they didn't have the capacity to attend this important um, community resource meeting. So they reached out to to the team and said like, hey, you know, there is this collaborative with the state, with state agencies or with the county. Um, and we would like to have one of our team members be representative of our agency who wants to go. So these are the opportunities that you want to look for. And also, if your agency has an, a community outreach person, just request a meeting with them mm. and you know shadow them for a day or just sit with them for lunch just to learn what they do and how, how they are connected with the community. Because more often than not, community agencies who provide social services, we work with other community agencies right. for you know, different types of services to connect our our clients with other resources and whatnot. So these collaborations don't just happen, you know, magically. The the organizations have to attend some of these meetings and be part of these collaboratives. Um, So just, you know, take that extra step to talk to your supervisor and let them know that you would like to be more informed on the impact of your local agency has with other social service agencies. And if you can attend any of those meetings or, you know, just be more involved in that process. Yeah, I think all the time, you know, I'll see staff who identify those kind of macro gaps. They'll be like, ah, my clients can never get into X, Y, Z. Or I found a lot of need lately for food boxes. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it'll be something that very clearly seems like a macro need or like a legislative need or something that could be solved with collaboration between multiple agencies. And, you know, my challenge is always, you know, like, how do you think we should solve this? You know, like you can bring a problem to me as a supervisor and I'm happy to help walk you through it. But, you know, oftentimes I find that it's a much more empowering and further learning opportunity to say like, how about you do some research and you'll bring it back to me at the next clinical supervision. You know, how can you put together something that not only with what you've learned, but can you put together something for the team, Mm -hmm. a handout, a presentation? Can you present at our next staff meeting? You know, what did you learn from this? And then, you know, as Imelda mentioned, and in our previous episode, you know, we talked about, you know, getting involved in board meetings, you know, there's a social worker that you admire or look up to in your community, you know, you can reach out to them. A lot of board meetings are public, especially to attend, you know, as someone who's from the community at large, a concerned citizen Mm -hmm. or constituent, you know, but there are social workers sitting on boards and you can observe them. You know, a lot of us would even be happy to take you with us and, you know, grab lunch before or dinner after and just kind of talk about the experience. But there's a lot of opportunities to shadow, but a lot of times you do you have to ask or if you notice a problem you know get that permission to solve Mm it exactly yes um one of the first involvements in the community that I had was when I was working for a family shelter and I was doing case management so I was not even doing like very strict clinical work but I was just a a high needs case management for her families and I I noticed that there was um, an opportunity to attend mm-hmm. county meetings. Uh, it was a multi-agency um, meeting collaborative on housing and affordable housing and access to, to affordable housing. And because of a good number of the families that I worked with were on the waiting list 
for these mm. services for more permanent housing. I wanted to sit at those at those update meetings. And so I asked my supervisor if it was okay for me to attend a monthly meeting. And she said yes. So I was the one representing my agency and I will report back to my team, which was very useful because I had the insight of knowing like, hey, next month, um, there's a new list of affordable housing places that is going to open. Um, so just, you know, be in the lookout to get your families on that list. So it can be a beneficial thing for yourself and also for, for the agency where you work. Number two, our second tip on transitioning, um, expand your job search and do research on the type of uh, position that you would like to have. Then you can have an idea of what are the job requirements, the strict job requirements that, that that position has and highlight the areas where you need more experience or you need to, you know, continue brushing up your skills in that area. And that way, you know what you need to work on in order to apply for that type of position. Um, there are some keywords that usually go hand in hand with macro work. Um, I will say outreach, coordinator, um, community connector, manager, program management, advocacy, empowerment, policy, program evaluation, collaboration or collaborative, um, community liaison, constituent services. So when you do your job search, um, you don't necessarily have to type like social work um, and any of these, you know, this is keywords, but um, just be open to the possibilities that some of these jobs, more, you know, macro oriented uh, social work jobs, the title won't, won't say macro social worker. Right. Uh, and it's not going to be that clearly defined as opposed to when they're hiring for um, a clinician. Uh, they usually say, you know, an LCSW or LMSW, uh, but some of these more macro positions for social workers, it won't say social work in the title because they are open to other professions, um, people who have experience in nonprofit management or uh, public policy. Uh, but Social work also falls into the category of uh, social service degrees that they might they might be able to take um, for this position. So just be open to other titles that not necessarily say social work, but have a very heavy social services and and, and community work component. Yeah, and I think a lot of these positions you'll see, you know, MBA or MPA, um, they'll want someone technically on their profile or on their job listing that has, you know, a master's in business administration or uh, policy administration, public planning, things of that nature to run these larger programs. Uh, but don't sell your MSW short. You probably have the same amount, if not more skills than that individual. So when you look at a lot of these positions, you'll see that they want maybe experience in marketing, or they might use the words business development or development in some way mm -hmm. and want very specific master's degrees. Apply anyway. Please apply anyway. Yes. And the next tip we'll go over is a little bit about tailing your resume to things, which is important. But as you look at these jobs, don't get discouraged when they're not asking for an MSW. They don't even know that they want one yet, but you're going to show up and show them that you have more than enough skills from your master's program to provide what they need for the agency. Exactly. You you know more than you think. So don't sell yourself short, uh, which leads us to tip number three. Revamp and update your resume. So a lot of clinical skills that you currently have and that you currently use are totally transferable to macro settings 
just if you know how to listen correctly and how how to use the keywords that they're looking for. For example, if you have experience in case management, um, it is very likely that you have done, uh, you have worked with multidisciplinary teams, um, multi-agency teams, especially in, in community mental health settings. Mm-hmm. You have worked with CPS, you have worked with behavioral health agencies, you have worked with foster care agencies, um, you know, youth shelters, etc. So you already know key players and key stakeholders mm-hmm. in the community. Um, so make sure to list those skills and those that knowledge on your resume. You were also as case managers or, you know, community mental health practitioners, you were also likely the one leading meetings and um, CFTs and preparing agendas and driving the conversation to identify needs and assets and create action plans for the team and for the client that you're working with. So all of these are skills that are transferable to macro settings. Um, the ability to work with multiple stakeholders, leading prepare meetings, um, identify areas of need, identify assets to, um, you know, use a strengths-based approach to your meetings and do work that you do with the clients. This transfers equally to working with communities. Uh, when we think of macro social work, we also think of, you know, doing needs assessments in mm-hmm. the communities and using different tools to to identify gaps in, in the community. Um, so these are very similar skills that you currently use with your clients and the families that you work with that are transferable in the, just in a macro macro scale. So other clinical skills that are so transferable to macro, um, evaluation, needs assessments, capacity building. Um, and like I mentioned, strengths-based approach can be applied to so many areas of the work that we, that we do. And, you know, just as a reminder that, you know, you know more than you think. So don't sell yourself short and, and also always highlight the, the work, the powerful work that you do. Um, and that you have done, if let's say if you have um, been an instrumental person to create a working relationship between your agency and another service provider agency, uh, make sure that you highlight those be- mm-hmm. because you know if you were the connector between um, that other agency and 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 your work or your team, um, make sure that you were the key player for for that connection to to take place. So there are so many ways that you can. Um, highlight and and I wouldn't say embellish, but um, <laughs> expand expand your the skills that you currently have to a macro setting. Absolutely. I think too, in addition to the resume, you know, like we mentioned, some of the things that you get to do might be kind of, you know, one-time things where you went to a meeting or, you know, might be a very small part of your current job function. So even with adding those keywords and again, not selling yourself short in any of those, oftentimes that, you know, kind of board experience, volunteer experience kind of falls to the bottom of your resume. And if we think of our, you know, most people are only going to glean over that first page uh, to not underestimate the power of a cover letter. Mm-hmm. We hate them all. Like we joke about them all the time. Every time that there's a job with a cover letter, it's like, oh, yeah. do I really want this job? <laughs> I have to write a cover letter. I think we even posted um, <laughs> a TikTok, a TikTok on our story. <laughs> it's like they're they're the worst, but they're also the best. You know, if you talk to any employer, and you know me being an employer and a hiring manager, you know, if you had a resume that you know, I work with a lot of. Um, 
birthing people who took time, considerable time off after having kids before returning to the field, which can look concerning on just a, you know, a flat resume. I can't tell anything about this human. Um, but if they write me a really impassioned cover letter about how important it was, you know, to see their kids off to kindergarten and what they've been doing to stay clinically relevant, you know, I've attended XYZ trainings. I've stayed involved in the field by attending these community meetings. You know, I've continued to keep up on my CEUs and my clinical supervision hours. Like that tells a story Mm -hmm. that like this person is committed and ready to get back to work and is going to be a more dedicated employee because she was able to put her family first when she needed to the most, you know, or if you're again trying to change fields from clinical to macro, you know, writing that letter, that impassioned letter about like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Like here, I'm so fired up about it. I'm willing to put in the extra work. You know, here's what I've already done to gain the skills that I have today. And here's, you know, some skills that I'm really excited about Mm -hmm. gaining that I think I could get at your agency. Here's the stuff that I'm bringing to the table, the things that I already noticed that I want to change. You know, that allows you to tell the story to bring that change, you know, versus your resume may look, again, a little flat and sometimes a little scary to employers who are, if you're making a big change, especially, you know, we think of clinicians who come from CPS and go into therapy, or again, who are maybe out of the field and coming back to the field, you know, that cover letter allows you to tell the story of where you want your life and your career to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you touch a really good point on making sure that your resume and your cover letter are tailored to the position that you're applying for. Please. Um, as I just, I was just remembering uh, recently, I was part of a panel of interviewers for a position at my job. And the, the candidate was very honest about, you know, she said, I don't have much experience on this particular area um, in in a formal setting, but Mm -hmm. I have done all these other things in a volunteer basis or more in an informal setting. Um, And most importantly, this is why I'm so interested in this position. Mm -hmm. Um, In my personal experience, when I transition more from, you know, from direct practice to macro, um, something that I said often in interviews was that um, my experience in direct services allowed me to see the bigger picture mm-hmm. of, you know, the issues when I tried to connect families with specific services or have them, um, you know, apply for a childcare assistance or housing, um, any others, you know, this, these things that were completely out of my control as a case manager. And how I always highlight how that experience of working one-on-one with families opened my eyes to the systemic issues that we had in the state and how my interest grew from just working one-on-one that to wanting to make an, a, a larger impact. And, you know, as a as a manager or as a person who works in the community, that's a, that's what you want to hear. Right? Why the person is interested in doing this 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 work, um, and what are the barriers that they have already identified in the community that they want to impact? Right. But like you have you have to make it to the interview to tell that story, exactly. right? <laughs> but like the a cover letter, if you get an opportunity to upload one, gives you a chance to tell that story before you even get there. True. You know, I'm also transparently like I guess 
especially since my agency doesn't require it, when someone does include a cover letter that tells me like why they're interested. If you do include a cover letter, a lot of people when they're doing applications, they're kind of like blasting them out. You know, typically you had a really bad day at work. You are (laughs) really unsatisfied with your agency and you like crash apply to like 12 at once. Be really careful. Um, I can't tell you, you know, when I did work at an agency where we required cover letters and I was a hiring manager, I would have the wrong employer listed in the letter or as the file name. They would never change the file name and it would be like person's last name for agency that we definitely didn't work for. Or in the cover letter, it would be like, you know, again, have a completely different agency's name. So I know we all get fatigue, especially if you're going to be applying for a lot of jobs at once because you're really trying to make that change as quickly as possible. But I can also tell you as an employer, it's not an excuse to not know what job you're applying for. I can't tell you how many people make it to the interview and they're like, what's this job about again? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what's a phone interview? Google what we are while we're on the phone. Like be coy about it at least. Always, always do your research and have a good understanding of the mission of the organization. Always. Because that's a question that you they will ask you, no doubts. Why? Why you want to work for this agency? Why you want to do the work that we do? Um, and you have to have a good answer. If not, that can you can have a perfect interview, but if you don't you cannot talk about the mission of the agency where you're applying or interviewing for. That could make it or break it. Absolutely. Like we can, again, it's like the cover letter thing. We can joke about it all day. Like, why do you want this job? I don't know. So I don't start, right? <laughs> like funny. Because I like also, money. Yeah. <laughs> but like you have to, hopefully you end up getting to do something you're passionate about. And for yeah. those of you who are thinking of moving from micro to macro, that might be that change in that passion for you. But don't be so fatigued about wanting to move so quickly that you forget these really critical details that prepare you, number one, to get the interview and then for the interview. Exactly. So this takes us to tip number four. Which is learn about local politics. I know we talked about the importance of knowing your local elected officials uh, when we talked about advocacy and and um, just you know those doing that advocacy work in the community. But this also applies to to macro and community work because you will be working on this larger systems at this larger scale you have to know who are the people who are making who are who are those who are making those decisions macro social work usually works closely with elected officials especially at the city council level um, and legislative district so if you don't know much about who your elected officials are, who who makes those decisions in your community. A Google search, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a great tool. Um, you know, we're not sponsored by Google yet, but yet, <laughs> but Google goes a long way. Um, so if you work for an agency that provides social services, especially that is not private, that is mm-hmm. a, a public agency, uh, more likely than not, the, you, your agency is receiving some type of funding from either the state or the city. So knowing who, when items are up for either approval for funding, uh, budget hearings, um, or changes in eligibility um, in services, um, we see this often in veteran services. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these eligibility requirements um change and or funding for more programs so just 
be aware of what's coming up um, either at the state legislature or at the city council level, um, you know, when those decisions are being made. So you start getting involved and being aware of of what's happening. Uh, more likely than not, if you're if you want to work for an agency that does advocacy work, they already they have a person in that agency that does uh, lobbying mm-hmm. at the state level or the legislature, so or even in Congress. So most of the most of these agencies they have a lobbying department who focuses on these on this issue. So it's always good to be aware of what that agency that you're applying for is doing in terms of advocacy and lobbying. So you know one of the the, at the top of our head, some of the the elected elected officials that you should know uh, or just be more aware of who they are. City council members, um, you know, you can go to your city website and read their bios. And um, most often than not, websites, they also have a tracking record of how they have voted on specific things. Um, school district, who who is sitting in that governing board? Um, they are the ones who make decisions also on some curriculums at the schools, additional funding for services, for mental health services, um, et cetera. So always know who is sitting in the governing board of the school districts. These are also elected positions. The Board of Behavioral Health Examiners as well. You know, we talked about licensing and, you know, how all the all the areas that they control and they have a say in. Um, so you want to be aware of who they are and when elections are up as well. Who is in your NASW leadership in your state or in, yeah in the, in the state they have different chapters so who is the executive director who is sitting at, in that board of at the local NASW and counter supervisors too um, that's this is a position that is not as fancy sometimes mm-hmm. and it's like often overlooked but county the board of county supervisors is a is a powerful board um, they make decisions that affect pretty like everyday lives of, of residents. So it's important to know who they are and how they vote and when elections are up. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also, you know, more specific meetings that you can go to as well. For example, you know, I'm a part of the uh, Society for Social Work Leaders in Healthcare, um, the Society for Social Work Managers, right? If there's a specific portion of the field that you want to get into, there's probably a specific board or organization for that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just to start somewhere, you know, like Imelda was talking about lobbying, a lot of agencies contract out for lobbyists too. And that could be something that they bring in house for significantly less expensive if that's a skill set that you obtain. Um, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, so often for a lot of people, the most comfortable place to start is often city council meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on how large your city is, how you access it, you know, it may be more or less accessible. Um, but going and watching one and then requesting to speak on an item. Even if it, you know, seems really daunting, you don't feel like the item is like super directly available, you know, to your community or applicable to the work that you're doing, just to try it, right? Most oftentimes you have between two and five minutes to speak, depending on your city's rules. But just giving yourself a chance to fill out the card and go up to the podium and address the council on something that you're passionate about. Again, that's also recorded. Your name will be in the meeting minutes. You know, when employers Google you, they'll see that you're an activist for the Mm -hmm. community. They'll be able, there will be physical, undeniable proof that you have a track record of advocating, you know, for folks that are underserved. And that's a really 
more accessible way to do that than, you know, maybe some of the other things like, you know, going and getting another political science degree or going and getting a jury's doctorate, right? Like you don't necessarily need that. You have to be informed, but you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be an expert. Like we said, again, don't sell yourself short, but you have to start somewhere. You should be trying something. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And our tip number five is to focus your job search on specific issues. Um, When we talk about community issues and community development and growth, these are big words. um, And it's often, it can be overwhelming of where to start. I want to do macro work. Where do I start? There are so many, there are so many um, different areas of, of the field where you can go into. So identifying specific areas that you're interested in it's a great place to start. Uh, when I talk to my students on my um, social work macro practice, we we review the 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 social work grant challenges, mm-hmm. um, and so we actually we included the link on on the resources for this episode, so you can check them out. Uh, and these are pretty much the twelve grant challenges that the profession has um, in a larger scale. Uh, and these are the things that our profession is cur- you know actively working on to solve. Um, these are of course, you know, big issues as, you know, access to or, you know, homelessness, um, family safety, etc. But these are all broken down into more specific issues. So knowing if you have a special interest, let's say if you want to work um, in, you know, access to healthcare or access to um, food and reducing the food deserts in your community, um, knowing which agencies in your state, in your city, work on those specific issues is a great place to start. So look for these organizations who are already doing the grant work um, on these issues and and find out if they have any webinars or events coming up where you can attend or any networking opportunities. They usually, all these agencies, they usually try to do a lot of advocacy in the community and spread the word of what they're doing. So networking events, uh, networking breakfasts are also Mm -hmm. very popular well before COVID. Um, Now, a lot of events are um, virtual still, but you can you can attend, sign up to attend any of those and just be informed of what they're doing. Um, and they also have volunteer opportunities. So if you are completely new to the topic, and, but you want to learn more volunteering, it's, it's one of the best ways that you can get some hands-on experience. And also having that insight, um, you get the newsletters, you get mm-hmm. all their communication, and you'll be able to see uh, if they have any job openings that you will be able to fit in and, you know, just being, being more, um, educated on what the agencies in your, in your current community are doing, um, to, to target that issue is a great place to start. Um, I don't know if Jennifer, do you have any, any tips that you want to share based on your experience as well? Yeah, I think another thing along with macro, you know, some people, it's like when people are also making that leap to private practice, it's scary to kind of leave your agency job or to kind of go out on your own um, or change fields or a part of the field that you're in. Um, So a lot of people also ask me about, you know, how do I get into 
into contracting? How do I get into consulting? You know, especially around the macro work. Um, and I'll say 100% of my contracting or consulting positions I obtained because I volunteered for the organization. Yep. They knew who I was. You know, I was around the lunch table, around, you know, the coffee pot, you know, again, all pre-COVID stuff. But they knew who I was. They knew my expertise. So when they had an opportunity to leverage it, I was already known to the organization. And then those kind of contracting and consulting opportunities, you know, led to job offers in a lot of the fields. You know, oh, you're really good at this. We're deciding to expand on it. You know, would you be interested in joining us for this journey? You know, or sometimes if you're really good, they'll create a whole position for you, right? They'll be like, we have to have you. We don't know quite what we're going to do with you yet, Mm -hmm. but we need you. And we know that we're, and you show us where your expertise is, but you know, you have to, they have to know your name. They have to know you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, um, what was that saying that it's not what you know is who you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it does go a long way. Um, and you know, if you're, uh, Jennifer mentioned volunteering and even six months of, you know, fundraising or community planning or advocacy, uh, that you can put on your resume it creates a big impact mm-hmm. because it shows employers that you care enough about this issue that you're volunteering your time to learn more about it and to be familiarized with what's going on locally. Um, I always say that volunteering in local political campaigns is a, is a good way to start as well. Um, even if you are not, you know, to be a political person um, getting involved in in a local campaign or elections is a great way to start creating that grassroots network for yourself. Um, if you if you are still you know pretty new to the field and you can do this in your free time, weekends or whenever you know elections are happening, and this is a great way to get connected with other people who are doing already the work and who can connect you to those opportunities. Um, very similar to what Jennifer said, um, some of the contracting work that I have done, um, it has come out from from those conversations mm-hmm. of like people like, oh, so what do you do? Like, oh, I do this and I do that. And I have experience on this specific topic or this specific population. They're like, oh, really? Because I have been thinking or, you know, we're doing this project and we're looking for someone that has this or who has knowledge on this area. Um, and it just goes from there. Absolutely. And I'd say too, you know, again, going back to that point about knowing the org, knowing the mission, you know, you might have volunteered for a political campaign that might be controversial to a particular agency. You know, for example, if you have aligned yourself or volunteered with particularly liberal candidates and then you want to go work for like a highly Catholic adoption agency, you can always de-identify that a little bit, right? Like local political organizing or like local community organizing, right? You can list it pretty simply on your resume. But again, it's to that point about being tactful Mm -hmm. when applying, tailoring, tailoring your resume and your cover letter to that particular employer, you know, but it is genuinely one of the best ways to get involved. You know, some of the, probably the best people you'll meet in your career um, are, you know, organizing around that. Cause like we're talking about the importance of being and attending in those meetings and speaking at those meetings. These decide who's running those meetings, who votes in these meetings. Um, So it's absolutely, you know, critical to make sure that the people in those chairs are the right people to hold that space and to hold that vote consistently. Exactly. And and I feel that as social workers, we have so much knowledge to bring to the table that other people 
who volunteer for some of these campaigns and mm. some of these um, grassroots movements might not necessarily have. You know, as social workers, we have that perspective of, you know, looking at all the variables and how it affects um, the individual and the community in the long term. And we have some history about how, you know, all these issues have started and and you, you have a lot of knowledge to bring to the table and to share. So volunteering in any capacity just enhances even more your your skills and your commitment to the community. I know sometimes, you know, as as especially if you work in a in a social service agency, you're probably maxed out mm-hmm. on your caseload and and you have to, you know, if you're going to school, you have to manage going to school and family and so many things. So sometimes, you know, volunteering it's not as easy as it sounds and finding the time, but even a couple hours on a Saturday morning, two or three hours on a Saturday morning can be impactful to add in your resume and can make those connections for you, you know, needed for, for community work. Exactly. You know, it's an investment. A lot of people are like, you know, oh, but by the time I accrue enough volunteer experience or by the time I finish that degree, you know, I'm going to be 40. Like, I don't mean to alarm you, but you're going to turn 40 anyway. It's just, where do you want to be when you're there sometimes, right? Like, it's an investment in your future if you really are ready to make that leap or decide that that might be the next step in your career path. Definitely. So, so if you are a social worker that has transitioned from clinical to macro practice, please share any tips and ideas with us. You can you know, put a comment on our Instagram post on this episode and just share, you know, join the conversation with other people because uh, we have seen this question flowing around social media and some groups on Facebook as well. Um, people that want to take the leap from clinical to macro and then they don't know where to start. So these, this is, of course, like we said, not an inc- all-inclusive list of ways that you can do it but this is some you know some examples of what we have tried that have worked and we wanted to share with you so i hope it was useful and we'll see you next time